This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here today for our interview episode with David Canfield. Hello. And Rebecca Ford. Hi. Uh, David, we've missed you very much these past few weeks. I assume our listeners have as well. Uh, And you're back for a really great interview with a pretty major star of television at the moment. You caught up with Diego Luna, star of Andor, I think currently in production on Andor. He's really a a globetrotter these days, right? Very much in production. And and interview was completed while I was also... uh across the pond so look at you not not in a galaxy far far away diego but... and i very aligned <laughs> indeed yes <laughs> so he's been acting for a really long time people know him from all kinds of roles but andor has been really definitive in really fascinating ways for his career uh, how'd you guys get into that in a lot of different ways i mean he's an ep on the project and one thing you you learn about diego luna when you talk to him is he's someone who really passionately loves what he does and loves to take a certain degree of ownership over what he does. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about the many, many ways in which he contributes to the overall vision of this show, the way he really collaborates with Tony Gilroy from the inside out uh, on the characterization, on the design, and as he says, playing a unique role among the producers and being able to take a step back as an actor and not be the producer who's in the room every day fighting over budgets and things like that and able to see what's working and not working. So really the the guts of our conversation were about exactly how much he does on this show and how kind of thrilling that is for him. Yeah, I don't know if it's because of the work he does on the show or many other factors, but Andor has really stood out among Disney Plus shows, among Star Wars shows. You've been one of the many evangelists being like, no, 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 this show is like really something special. Uh, Even, you know, the Star Wars shows have been pretty good, but this one's really a level above. Yeah, um, I think one real strength of his performance is in many ways, it's not a very dialogue heavy performance. A lot has to be communicated with his face, with the arc of this character who we know from Rogue One develops into this incredible revolutionary and this man who makes a great sacrifice. But in this show, we we meet the kind of the birth of a hero who is a very flawed and kind of messy guy coming from a really challenging circumstances. And so being able to watch Diego chart that character's journey is really exciting and hearing him talk about the ways in which he does that, uh, I think is pretty interesting listening. So hopefully the listeners agree. Yeah, let's hear it. 
Diego Luna, I wanted to start by asking you where you are in the world right now, because you've been filming Andor for a minute, and this show is kind of an infamously globe-trotting uh, experience for all of you. So where are you right now? Uh, we're shooting in Valencia, Spain, which is um, one of the locations uh, that we'll use on this season. Hmm. So over the course of shooting season two, how have you found all of the travel and all of the sort of getting back into it? Uh, and have you been able to spend much time with your family? I'm curious how that is uh, compared to season one for you. It's great in many, many ways. It's, uh, basically, one thing that has changed and uh, that I'm glad has changed is uh, the chance we have to move. You know, I go back and forth to where my kids are or they come to me. Last season was uh, shot. The first season was shot in, in the worst moment of, of, of the pandemic, of the confinement, you know. Mm. So we were not allowed to travel. So for me, it was really important to, to be able to travel this time. And it's been different in many ways. You can tell, not just for me, obviously, but the show also, it's a show that uh, we come from all around the, the world, you know. There is people from Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, uh, Italy, Spain. And this season has been even more gentle, you know, for hmm. us to keep contact with, with our families and friends and life. Yeah, I, I remember you expressed some anxiety upon first taking the job about taking you away from your life in a more major way than other projects. So now that you're approaching season two, does it feel weird now that it's kind of ending just as it's gotten a little bit easier? <laughs> well, the thing is... It's not ending. It's not even close. Sure. <laughs> Fair we, enough. <laughs> we, we, started, we started shooting in November. And uh, all my life, I've done theater and, and cinema, you know. And it's very yeah. different, a very different rhythm. And the times are very different, you know. Here, it, it seems to never end, you know. Uh, as I like <laughs> saying, there, there is no time to celebrate. Because when you finish something, you have to start something else right away. Like I, I, I actually finished the, the first season uh, when episode six was already out, you know, because I was doing the all, all the Spanish dubbing for for Latin America and the states. So, mm. and it's it's exhausting, you know, in, in the best possible way, also because yes. I'm 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 part of a show I love. I I am very proud of. I work with people I really really admire. And today, people I love and, and, and that are my family, you know, but it is a, a full-time job. And, uh, and that I can do just for, for a certain amount of time, you know. But the beauty of our show is that we know that it has a beginning and an end, you know. Yes. Uh, since day one, we know this story ends when Rogue One starts. When we were shooting season one, we sat down and said, like, okay, how can we make sure... We deliver, we get to the end, but also we do it, you know, before it's too late. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, Tony came up with this great idea of making like four blocks of this season, you know, so it's four years. The whole show, the idea was this is five years before Rogue One and the first season is one year. Yep. So now we're doing four blocks and each block is a, is a year, you know, before Rogue One. And yep. therefore, in, in, in these two years and a half that this season will take us, 
we'll be able to get to Rogue One and finish what we started. And it's it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling because I'm I'm very excited. I haven't lost that, you know. I can't wait for people to see this this second season because also we learned a lot from the first one. And it would be yes. very disappointing not to have another chance. Yes. I think we're all excited <laughs> to see it. Um, I'm fascinated by this idea of really this total immersion in a project. I mean, like you said, you film it, then you you know promote it, then you go back to filming it. And the, the dubbing as well is really interesting to me. I'm not sure if you've done it before, but how did you find essentially playing a character in, in two languages and, and rediscovering him in Spanish like that? It was tough, I have to say, you know, because obviously you don't have the time in Spanish that we, we had in English, you know, to reflect on what, what it said, uh, to have so many chances to try and, and, and like basically the rhythm of, of looping, the rhythm of, of doing the, the, the doubling is, is really fun, you know, it's done yeah. in, in, in weeks, you know, what you did in, in a year, uh, suddenly you have to squeeze in, in two weeks of work. And it, it's very technical because you you have to match the mouth, you know? And, right. and uh, uh, even though it's you, it's not you. And even though it's you, you're not on the moment. So it is very technical. I had to learn a lot. Uh, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And there's a chance to, to still play with it. But it is weird because it's also... A different team, you know. I'm working with a, with a new team. I'm working in, in Mexico uh, with this this great team, but that didn't happen to be on set, you know. So I become kind of a bridge between what happened that day and how can that be be done in Spanish and and work in Spanish. And there's so in the, the writing of of um, of Tony Gilroy. It's very complicated, you know, there's so many layers, things can mean so many things, you know, and there's so much that is not said, but that is implied and it has to, it has to be done, you know, and uh, obviously I get the scripts, I, I have a lot of time to uh, reflect on them, I get to talk to Tony, then we work with the directors on how we're going to do them, and then we, we go back and, and fix what needs to be fixed in post. That's the whole process in English. In Spanish, is you get the script and and, and you're in front of a screen and and the time is running, you know. So <laughs> it's quite hectic, but uh, but I'm so glad I I I, I can do it uh, because I wouldn't like basically Latin America to see this story without my voice. You know? mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and I can, and I, I'm, I also become very helpful in, in terms of telling them, no, no, wait a second. Uh, the, the line might mean these, but, uh, you have to remember these and that. And we were trying these other things. So probably we have to adapt a lot, you know, uh, what we're saying, because uh, it's very dangerous to try to translate what's written in English, because many times you, you have to adapt it and, and, and change the whole sentence in order to say, the same thing or imply the same thing, you know? Right. It's pretty rare to have a one-to-one -one translation so that, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. Yeah. And it's not just me. It's Adria also doing her voice. 
and and that's special for us and it's i hope special for for the audience i'm david remnick host of the new yorker radio hour there's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Ferrian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. All this speaks to the level of your involvement in the show. You've been acting for a long time. I know Tony Gilroy pitches to you as you and him really in it together um, and your credit as an executive producer. So what kind of creative involvement do you have in the show overall and how has it evolved from that first conversation you had with him to now filming season two? I guess I'm allowed to do what I always want to do. You know? uh, <laughs> and uh, what I normally do without anyone asking for uh, this time is, is, is it's in paper, you know, we signed it. And, uh, but, uh, I started producing and directing many years ago. And it's because as an actor, I'm used to theater, you know, where you're yeah. part of the whole thing. And in cinema, it's, it's, it is a very important role, the one actors play, obviously. But you come in when most is the side and, uh, we're, and, and just the last step has to be, you know. And, and I, I got tired of that. I got tired of getting there too late to actually have an input to be part of it in a, in a, and to feel part of it in a bigger way. Um, I really like understanding why things get to be what they are, you know, what happened before, uh, what was the first idea that ended up evolving and, and becoming something else. Um, I, I love owning what I do in that way, you know, and producing in, in a show like this, can mean many things, you know, because everything is happening at the same time, you know. So sometimes I'm the eyes of on set, the eyes of Tony Gilroy, you know, well, because he's writing and I'm on set and I am living the everyday and I can call him and say like, look, this is happening. I'm feeling this. Uh, there's a lack of clarity here. Or like, man, this just happened. It's amazing. Take a look at it because that might inspire you for what you're writing, you know. Stuff like that, like a, a, a bridge again between Tony that is is working really hard now, not just in writing, but in for quite a while writing and post producing at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, then we have Sana, um, who's uh, on set every day, every day, and I have a chance to see things from the day. I have time off, like uh, <laughs> no other producer in this show. <laughs> you know, I can, I can, I can stay home and I can think about stuff and I can come back with ideas that probably by being there every day you you don't see. Uh, but gladly, there's there's so much to do uh, here that uh, no one's stepping in on each other's 
pose. Is that the expression? Yes. I can <laughs> well, yeah, we complement each other very well. Then we, we have Kathleen Kennedy looking from, from the distance and making sure we have everything we need and all the freedom uh, we need in order to, to, to do this. But, uh, but she's always there when, when ideas are just ideas to give her opinion about it, you know? So we, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's difficult to define exactly what I do, you know, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's, it's about having an opinion when your opinion matters, you know, when there's time for that opinion to shape things, you know, and as an actor, you mostly, every time you come with an opinion or an idea, it's, it's a little too late. Yeah. Is there any instance or scene from the first season that you can recall where, you know, that opinion did matter and it did have an impact on the storytelling? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to be very specific because it, it, I think it ruins the magic. But I, mm -hmm. I can tell you one thing is uh, there is there is three teams, you know, you, we have three directors. One director does two blocks and the other two do one block, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so directors change and the perspective changes, you know. And as an actor, you're there, you know, through all these uh, stages, you know. Uh, and I, I guess it's very helpful to be there to help them navigate the transition. Because at the end, we're doing the same story, you know. It's not that everyone is doing its own field. Even though each blog has a different perspective, directors also sometimes need to know what happened before in order to come in, you know. And that's a moment where, when as an actor, uh, but but producing at the same time, you can be very helpful uh, for them to kind of yeah navigate and start to find the best way to to have a relation with uh, yeah with a with a train that is already moving, you know. It's not easy for directors to jump in in a show that is, is is going so fast and that it has so many layers and you know there's so many sticking parts. There is the, the it's so complex uh, that it's it's kind of cool to be there to to remind them of that probably they they're not aware of or or, or that they're not seeing. Um, I don't know. I, I I also think it's very it's very helpful to remind those who are designing or writing or in, or just producing and making decisions and choices of the journey of actors you know and mm -hmm. uh, and and it's important when when an actor is a producer because you can you can let them know stuff that is important i'll i'll tell you one this is a good i think finally i spoke okay. <laughs> ages to get to this point where i i actually have a, a something to say so this the this this kid this Mexican kid uh, does an amazing uh, amazing casting session with Tony and Tony uh, really likes him and uh, and we decide we're gonna go with him for, for him to play casting when he's a kid right. and uh, I really I really got involved in how to make it easier for him you know. I guess not just being an actor that started as a kid, but being Mexican and understanding what it would mean for him. I kind of like talked to production about how to handle it and what could be needed for him on set. And uh, and I, I talked to the director that was going to receive him and asked him to do a few things that I thought could be very good. And 
and make him just more comfortable and relaxed. And, and I did get very, very, very much involved in that. Uh, I, if I wasn't a producer, I probably would have never raised my hand and say like, guys, I think this kid needs this and that, you know? And, um, and I think it paid off. Like he, he did an amazing job, uh, in very, very hard conditions. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, watching your performance in the show, you and your, your younger self have such a beautiful and rich symmetry in your performances. And so I would imagine that all that work you were able to do probably informed your performance as well in terms of capturing that full breadth of this character with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was, it was very important because we, we didn't shoot in order, you know? So yeah. it was very important to know what that was going to be like, you know, and what it meant, what, what exactly Tony was looking for and uh, how that is. Yeah. Because it's so important. It's like a, such a revelation, you know, uh, and, and it explains so many things about this character. Um, that piece of the story matters so much for everything else. And again, that's that's the beauty of being part of a show from the beginning. You know, uh, I was mm -hmm. there. I saw the designs. I talked to Luke, the the production designer. I understood what kind of world he was imagining. Uh, I saw the references. I I spoke to Tony a lot about it. I went with Michael Wilkinson, the costume designer, and saw the designs of everyone and the designs of 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 that part of the story from the moment they were drawing, you know, therefore I had that there and it's kind of like I had to time to digest all of this and actually use it, you know, uh, and, and have these very specific images in my head. I mean, as an actor, you always have to do that, but you end up doing that by yourself. You know, when we did Rogue One, I had to do that, but I did it myself. And, uh, yeah. and this time, uh, this time it's there, it's on, on the screen, you know, and, uh, and it comes from, from, again, from the inspiration and the signs of, of people that are part of this, this troop, you know, so it doesn't compare to anything else. You know, we had that time here and we've been working that hard, uh, on this one, the problem of season two or the, the complete. I mean, what, what makes season two complicated is that that happened while we were promoting and, and, and putting season one out, you know? Um, so, right. so it, it got a little more complicated, but at the same time, it's a beautiful feeling, you know, to go to work on, 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 on season two after the experience of sharing the show and finding out that people care about it. It's a different feeling these times, you know. Uh, there's not not so much fear as as there was before. Right. You're like, for example, spending your off day at the Producers Guild Awards, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or doing a lot of a lot of press, you know. Like very few times I've been so proud to talk about what we do, and uh, and so interested in 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 also making sure others. Uh, get the opportunity to watch what we've done. I am very, very proud also for the work of, of the team. You know, it's like, I have so much to talk about. Obviously, yes, my experience, because I, I enjoyed it and I learned a lot and I am very proud, but I'm also very proud of what 
what others have done in this show. Uh, not just the cast, which is amazing. I would say uh, the work of, of, of Tony and Sana of getting all of these actors uh, on board was uh, spectacular. Couldn't be better. But it's the designers, it's the technicians, it's, it's the team, the family, you know, uh, that I am very proud of. And if there's one thing that uh, you learn about being in this world, a world as big as Star Wars, it's that secrecy is is paramount until the thing is out there. So you kind of have to wait. Yes, secrecy, it's important. But you know what? I think it's important to remind ourselves that that's the way it should be, you know? Right. Uh, I love the feeling of, of being in front of a screen and being surprised, you know? Uh amused by what's in front of me. Uh, I, I grew up going to a cinema because it was the cinema that was near my house and uh, watching whatever was programmed there and, uh, and having to go through a story from beginning to end and then find out what I thought. Uh, today, we, we, in a way, we, we, we get to the opening night already having an opinion, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, of things like, I don't know. I think it's the magic is the magic of, of actually letting someone drive us uh, through, you know, through a story that, uh, that we don't know and really allow someone to take, take us, you know, to, to, to guide us, to, to introduce us to a world we, we're not in control of, uh, is, 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 but cinema is amazing. And, and, uh, and today, yeah, we've seen so many trailers. We know the music, we read reviews. We like, by the moment you are sitting in front of, of, of the screen. Yes. You, you have an opinion. You already have an opinion. And, uh, and, uh, I love what, what happens around, around star Wars, you know, which is like, you, you gotta wait. You gotta wait because the magic of of living it for the first time at the same time as others uh, makes you part of something, you know. And uh, I don't know, it feels feels special. Uh, it makes it feel unique, you know. It's yeah. I, I I like that. I like that, and and I think it's a, again, it's a good reminder. Uh, also, because we we don't know uh, what we're doing, you know. You know what you hmm. would like to do, you know, uh, what you believe in. But then the beauty of what we do also is that the accident happens, you know, on the way. And, uh, and, and the collaboration is, is what, what, what brings the magic. And that just happens when it happens, you know. So it doesn't matter if you sit down and you say, like, I'm going to do a film about this and that, and it's going to play like this, and it'll be a mix of this and this other film. And yeah, they can tell you all of that. But then you go out there, you shoot, <laughs> things happen, you, you you have a realization, you you suddenly understand things. Then someone brings a color you you didn't think was could be part of it and ends being part of it. Like... And, and 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 then things happen, and uh, with this story, we had in mind what we wanted to do, but we didn't know if we were going to succeed or not. And and that risk is beautiful. Uh, so it's important not to promise things, you know, uh, yeah. not too early, at least. Yeah, um, I'll close by 
uh, asking you to go back a little bit. It was, it was interesting last fall to see you in this and Gael Garcia Bernal, your Itumama Tambien co-star, doing Werewolf by Night. Um, they sure. both broke, you know, similarly new ground uh, in their own respective universes. Both came out last fall um, and both obviously represent new stages for both of you in your careers. Does some reflection come with that from that that little <laughs> great movie you guys made to being in the biggest cinematic universes in the world? Yeah, definitely. I, I keep saying that I I didn't think one thing would connect with the other. But if, if you ask me how did I get to where I am, I would blame a lot of that movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I remember when Gareth Edwards came to me for Rogue One, and and said like I would love to work with you. He mentioned it to Mama Tambien before anything else, you know. Mm. And I was like, I I can't I, I really can't believe it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and he was looking for something like that. He wanted. He said to me like, the tone of acting I'm looking for is is that one, you know. It just mm. we just happened to be part of the universe of Star Wars, but that that is the level of reality I want, you know. Of, of grounded performances, uh, and uh, I'm looking for that simplicity also, and uh, and I was shocked. I was shocked when I when I heard that because if you would have asked me back then, where do you think this film can take you? I would have never said this. You know, I would yeah. have never said like, well, probably no, not at all. I think th- these were two different worlds. You know. And that one could not belong to the other. And the world is changing also because probably I was right back then. Uh, But things are changing, you know, Um, things are changing. And and, and audiences, audiences want to feel represented and uh, diversity is being represented in, in a different way. There's still somewhere to go, obviously. But but things are changing, and I'm glad I'm part of this, uh, and I'm always going to be thankful to to that movie we shot in Mexico when we were 18 years old. So now, Rebecca, let's hear your conversation with another star of a massive uh, fantasy-based series from television from the last year. You talked to Morvith Clark about Lord of the Rings and venturing into Middle Earth. Yeah, I was really curious how someone takes on such an iconic role and a role that was previously played by Kate Blanchett in, in the her. adult in the adult version. Like, how do you even handle something like that? And the interesting thing with her is she didn't know she was auditioning for Lord of the Rings when she auditioned. She didn't know she was going to play Galadriel until she got to New Zealand. So I think the key is you just go in totally blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, how much Middle Earth lore do you have to have or something to grab? I mean, what kind of research did she have to do to be able to grasp something like this? Or is it better to do the whole thing blind and just be your best elf self? Well, she talks a lot about how she grew up with these books and these films. And, you know, she is Welsh. And for her family, this was a really um, important part of their lives. Like she came home and watched these movies when she felt lonely at school. So she like had already done her homework, which I think was a huge advantage for her. Um, But also a lot of pressure because she understood how important this character is to so many people. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to hear all about it. Let's hear your conversation with Morvith Clark. (laughs) 
Today, I'm so excited to welcome Morfith Clark to the podcast. Uh, she stars in Amazon's The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, which is the, the hit series that has already debuted season one and has filmed season two. Is that right? Are you done filming? Where are you guys in the process right Hi, now? Hi. Um, yeah, we are in the midst of filming season two. Um, uh, so it's okay. kind of all stations go. Yeah. Um, I um, I think I'm going to make you go back to the beginning and sort of tell me about the process for being cast, because I know this series was extremely secretive. So what was it like for you? Walk me through it. Well, it started secretive in that I, I got a um, audition for my agent and it was for this untitled Amazon project. And I kind of, all I knew about the character was that she'd kind of experienced some loss and had been to war at one point. And then I arrived at the audition and I don't know if other people were told or that maybe I like just don't have any detective skills. Um, <laughs> but one of the actresses was next to me and we started chatting and she was like, can you believe we're auditioning for Lord of the Rings? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Um, and I had to kind of go into the bathroom and like kind of have a moment breathing in deeply, staring at myself, being like, you've got to, you've got to turn up, Marvith. You've watched these films, you've read these books, you've been waiting for this and kind of re- looked at everything I'd kind of prepared and tried to kind of make it suddenly be like I was in Middle Earth. And then then I just started slowly meeting all the different people that were part of it. Um, so the showrunners, um, producers, and then eventually had my final audition, which was a um, chemistry test with Charlie Vickers in Barcelona with all of J.A. Bayona's team. And um we filmed it under an olive tree and I was just, it was kind of a whole out of body experience. And then the next thing I knew I was in New Zealand. <laughs> and so when did they tell you or when did you realize you were playing Galadriel? Oh, well, I didn't realize I was playing Galadriel until I was there. I kind of wasn't told, but I remember that before I found out I had the job, I was going to um, Toronto Film Festival for the first time. It's like a year where everything kind of went mental for me, really. And um, I was told that by the time I get off the plane, I'd have an answer. And then just kind of was just playing, do you know, the games that are on the back of like the seats, mm -hmm. just like frantically, because <laughs> all <laughs> I could think of was that when I landed, I'd find something out. And so I found out that I had the job there. And then, yeah, I got to New Zealand, knew I was playing an elf and um, was kind of trying to decipher what I was. And eventually I was taken to room and told. And my immediate thought was, oh, no. I can't do it. I can't do it because it is strange to kind of find out that so kind of late in the game and when you're abroad. Um, yeah. But then also the other side of that is I think if I'd known for the whole time I was preparing to go out there, I also would have driven myself kind of crazy doing that as well. It's just a big thing to find out whenever you do because I'd right. loved the films. I'd loved Kate Blanchett and like, yeah, it was a lot. And so... Did that change how you prepared? I mean, was there any studying of Kate's performance or did you sort of decide you were going to make this um, your own? Um, I can't kind of unstudy those films mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I watched them so obsessively and kind of had the books read to me and things. So I kind of felt that they were always just going to be there as, as a like wonderful inspiration to have some insight into what you're making and it's quite nice sometimes to kind of feel that the character that I'm playing at this point kind of can't imagine that at one point she'll be at peace and I think kind of yeah. lots of characters you're playing their ultimate goal is to find that but lots of them don't so to know that she somewhat does 
is nice because you get you you get so protective of them whoever you're playing as you do it as well i want right. her to be happy yeah it's like you got to read the end of the book first yeah for you which i actually do the opposite of i don't finish books when i know they're not going to end how i want them to which is one of my <laughs> most toxic traits apparently and so i mean you're, you're you're sort of hinting at this but obviously you were a a fan of the books and and the film and that came from your family or tell me about where that where you were first sort of introduced to these stories yeah it came from my family like i come from a family of um quite fantasy orientated people um which i kind of didn't realize wasn't like i thought everybody was obsessed with Lord of the rings <laughs> and then um as i got older i was like oh wait it's not everyone it's a lot but it's not everyone um and i think i just always kind of always been a very bad reader but have loved stories so kind of tv and film have been kind of a big part of my life and me kind of understanding my world and stuff but i think fantasy in particular like i loved to be transported kind of from the four walls of school um yeah. i loved then coming home and thinking about all these magical things and all these possibilities yeah and so as someone familiar with these stories what was sort of the hardest learning curve for you as you were preparing to play this role? The idea of playing someone immortal was something that I thought and talked about kind of endlessly. And um, kind of something that I ended up sticking with was that, you know, I think we're living in a time at the moment, too, where we're reckoning with our past um, yeah. and we're learning from our past and we're learning about kind of the consequences of mistakes that were happened before we were born but that as an elf, she's a kind of like living history. So it was trying to think about what it would feel like to kind of have all the weight of that guilt, not just from the past, but you were there. So that was really fun. Um, in terms of something really challenging also, it was just just trying to kind of not get overexcited and overwhelmed. Being on a set of this size and kind of with this many people, and also particularly when you have all these supporting actors in, which sometimes is like 100 people and then a huge crew. Like I really hadn't appreciated that every day you were kind of doing a stage show. So that was something that I kind of had to get used to. It's very different to kind of filming something where the whole crew can fit in the living room that your scene's in. Right, right. And so tell me about filming in New Zealand, because this was uh, this was pretty early on in COVID. And I assume you all were in sort of a pretty tight bubble for mm -hmm. production. But how did that affect you as an actor? Did it have an effect on your experience? Yeah, so we, we had a really particular experience in New Zealand that um, we were in lockdown for quite a very strict lockdown, I think, compared to lots of places for six weeks. And then pretty quickly after that we started living as as normal but couldn't leave um couldn't go home because obviously there was mm -hmm. a pandemic and it was very strange to kind of be existing in such it felt like being on a different planet to the rest of the world hmm. um i think the way that it might affected me was just it kind of i wanted everyone to be in new zealand and yeah. i think for all of us you know like just the kind of your consciousness kind of exploded outwards once COVID happened. And so I think it incited a love and empathy for the world that I think came out in all our performances, really, because that's what we were thinking about a lot. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. And so for this role, obviously, it, it has some physically demanding parts to it and, mm-hmm. and also the la- the language. Um, did you find those aspects difficult or was that something you enjoyed in the preparation? I loved the language aspect. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm Welsh speaking. And when I was first reading The Hobbit, my mum was like super keen to be like, do you know he was obsessed with Welsh and he based <laughs> one of the Elvish languages on Welsh. And so kind of that was always something I'd find really exciting about it. And I didn't realize at the time, but I guess I liked reading about bilingual people as well. Um, mm. Do you know these characters that kind of switch between languages? And the way that they wrote the elves was really fun as well. That They kind of created a kind of rhythm to the way they spoke. So there was something kind of quite classical about it um, yeah. that felt almost kind of Shakespearean, which was really fun. Um, physicality wise, it was much more frightening. Mm. Um, I've spent a lot of my career being attacked and maimed and wounded and killed. Um, So I'm very good at screaming and being terrified. And obviously Gladwell is not that. And so I was really lucky that I had like a great, I was working with the most amazing stunties who lots of them were in the original films and in Avatar, you know, done these massive, massive things. And they felt like, you know, when people find like a little kitten on the side of the road, it's too scared to come and like talk to them. They kind of like coaxed me out with like, little bits and then eventually I was somehow confident enough to do that stuff on set but I feel so grateful for like basically re-engaging with teaching um mm-hmm. because I think like lots of actors and lots of people who aren't actors school wasn't some I didn't I didn't adore being taught um mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like necessarily like a connection with lots of my teachers because I just struggled with like the system and to kind of be able to kind of be taught by people at my age was wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, you. I was reading up um, about how you left school at sixteen and and sort of found your way to theater. Do you do you view that as sort of like a turning point in in your life, or can you tell me about that time? Yeah, definitely. I still don't think that like, even though I think I kind of often get very stressed about things and kind of have done stuff now that kind of really frightens me. I still don't think I've ever been more scared than when I was getting my GCSE results at 16. Like mm. that felt like it was possibly going to be the end of the world. And like the preparation for it, it just, it just didn't suit me. And I spent my whole school life just in a state of anxiety and um, disobedience really, which I guess is also why I would then come home and be like, I need to watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I need to escape. It kind of just made me realize that there was a world beyond school which it didn't kind of feel like at the time um yeah yeah, and that was when I met the people who championed me to actually try and do it I auditioned for stuff because my mum was sick of me just sitting in the house doing nothing (laughs) so I wasn't really chasing it she was like you're going to try and audition for this because you can't just hang around and waste your life and I was like okay Mm -hmm. it's a bit harsh but yeah um (laughs) and that kind of started off yeah just an incredible incredible turn of events that led me somehow to New Zealand. But yeah, Tim Reese Evans, who was the guy who ran National Youth Opera, mm-hmm. has been one of the like biggest people in my life to kind of make me feel that I can do stuff and to be brave and go for it. So yeah, it really was 
And I think part of that was meeting adults that felt kind of safe with as well. Yeah. After the first season premiered, how how are you sort of taking in feedback about the show and the character? I, I feel like there must be an added level of pressure because this is such an iconic character to the series. Yeah, definitely. And um, also because I'm a fan of this type of genre also, like I've read books that have then been turned into things and I've been like, I don't think the house would have looked like that. Do you know, like, I really get yeah. it. What's so wonderful about these worlds and these characters is that they don't exist and yet they do <laughs> so yeah. intensely in so many minds. Um, and I think there's kind of an idea of you can't please everyone, but also I do like respect the ownership of her. Yeah. Um, Cause I know if I was on the other side, I'd also be feeling like that, but I feel very protective about that. I feel lucky to be playing a character that in lots of ways escapes quite a lot of things that like women do in general, mm. because she's physically powerful. And so feel quite protective of making sure she's like safe from harm yeah and so the second season moved filming from New Zealand to the UK Mm -hmm. what has that transition been like for you um I was very sad to leave New Zealand I really love that you know there's certain kind of awards now that are giving awards to kind of duos or groups because I do think that a lot of the time like it's not a kind of singular individual pursuit and I felt that so strongly when I was in New Zealand and I think all of us did who weren't from there because the crew were not only being incredible with what they were creating for us but they were also looking after us while we were far from home while our families were all in lockdown um I'm forever changed by the experience that I had with that crew and kind of the work that I saw them do and what they managed to get me to do And so I really hope that at some point I go back and kind of feel like I've unfinished business there. (laughs) Need extra thank yous to be said. Um, But now working in Britain, you know, we have absolutely wonderful people here as well. And um, it's been wonderful being closer to home. But yeah, I I think that one of the greatest things about this career that I found is like, despite ending up in New Zealand, I don't have a huge amount of wanderlust. um, Mm. But I definitely have it for people. And I have a gift of being able to meet hundreds of people they're working on this so yeah I've met double the double the wonderful people (laughs) and does it feel different filming the second season now that you know the first season has been a success and you sort of have that um confidence in the in the project um the summer before um this coming out was wild inside my mind um because it yeah it was just so frightening and so scary like not knowing how it'd be received, but also kind of, we didn't see it till really late because obviously there needs to be so much care taken with protecting the material and things. Um, yep. So yeah, it feels good to kind of be coming back to it, just knowing a bit more about the world. Because also um, it's knowing that you can kind of cope with it as well. Because um, there was a fear of like how it's going to be received. Like what if people don't like it? Blah, 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 blah. And then you kind of realize that you're just, putting something out there for people to watch and feel however they like about it. And once I kind of relinquished that, it was good. But um, I feel really lucky. I've kind of had really nice experiences with people who kind of have enjoyed it and quite a lot of kind of young adults enjoying it, which is something that I feel kind of really proud of, really. Yeah. And what can you, obviously, this is like the most secretive show on television, but what can you say about where your character's goes this season after the events that transpired at the end of the first season? 
Hmm. I just have to take a deep breath before I do this because <laughs> what am panicked. I allowed to say? Yeah, get panic. <laughs> um, so last season, I think that she was. Um, her grief was so intense, her sadness was so huge. And I think kind of when you're in those points of like ultimate lows, you do end up becoming self-obsessed because you can't see anything beyond this kind of haze of misery. And now that's started to clear. And hopefully with that, she's rediscovering kind of the beauty of life and what she was really trying to protect the whole time beyond herself. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something I just love about Tolkien. You know, you you need to be connected to the world and those around you. And I think that's that was what her great sadness truly was in the first season, that mm-hmm. she had isolated herself. And no one can thrive that way. And um, we're almost out of time, but I am curious how playing this character or going through this experience has sort of influenced what you're you're looking for in your career. I think that variation is just the biggest thing. Like, I do think I'm getting my fix of the giant stuff. And kind of so when I was filming Lord of the Rings, I kind of towards the end, I was just like, I'd love to do a studio play um, <laughs> with like 10 people in the audience. And I still kind of love that. Um, but yeah, I think it's variation, but I do need to get back on stage soon or I will never be brave enough to do it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I've, I've been so lucky to manage to get this job that gives me a fix of like working in massive sets, wearing kind of clothes that you could wear to the Met Gala. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back on Thursday with our regular roundtable conversations. You can find us at vanityfair.com, on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider, and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.